0: afternoon and good evening Undying Light listeners. I'm back at it once again with another brand new episode in our Uggsburg Confession series. Um, again, more specifically looking at the Book of Concord in whole. Uh, last week we left off with the formula of Concord part one concluding. Uh, this week we're going to work through some uh, aspects of part two Uh, We won't go through all of them because there's a few things that we will um, touch base on uh, in the sacrament episode. Case in point, uh, the Holy Supper, which is uh, Article 7 in this. And a couple of these we've already kind of touched base, but we'll see if we can't dig a little deeper into it, Uh, especially Christ's descent into hell, which was last week's episode. I'm pretty happy with how that one turned out. Uh, If you are unaware, and have been living under a rock, uh, I invite you to come join us on Patreon and uh, to get out from underneath said rock Um, because we've been working through our sacrament series. I just finished recording part five and handed it off to the patrons. So we are five episodes into that, and uh, we are going to be releasing those uh, once we get through the rest of the Book of Concord and uh, depending on how I want to kind of set out the Lutheran theology series then we will um pick a time and we'll release the series of sacraments which uh, i i envision it's probably going to be close to 10 episodes uh 10 parts so over the course of 10 weeks uh, you know give or take um, i'm five in and i got uh one more to do on luther's arch catechism and then i might be done with baptism i might go back and visit some scripture if I do, then that would make uh, episodes probably six, seven, and eight, or at least six and maybe seven, and then we'll shift gears and look at the Lord's Supper for a couple episodes. May not take such an extensive dive into the Lord's Supper as we have baptism, but uh, you know they're both pretty contested, if you would, in most uh, Protestant circles nowadays. And uh, and often in, anymore, they're kind of downplayed by many churches. So I really hope that you tune in and enjoy them and uh, and, and just, you know, learn something new from them. So we're at uh, part two. This is called the Solid Declaration of the Formula of Concord. And uh, if you remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the uh, in the introductory to the Book of Concord. Um, basically it's, uh, again, just the summarization of various controversies around the pure doctrine that the Lutherans put forward during the reformation. Um, and really what happened is, uh, I'm going to read this here in the wake of Luther's death in 1546 and the military defeat in 47 of Lutheran princes and estates, a series of controversies about the pure doctrine of the reformation threatened to split Lutherans into two camps an increasingly isolated uh, Geneseo-Lutheran party proclaiming to adhere to the original teachings of Luther and initially led by uh, Matthias Flacus and the Philippist party composed of followers of Philip Melanchthon who carried their mentors' insights to extremes. The desire for unification was abetted by strong political pressures from both the Roman Catholic and the Calvinist sides. The open branch among Lutherans and the Calicoe of Worms in 1557 revealed that two ineffective conferences by princes uh, at Frankfurt on the Main in 1558 and the Newburg in 1561. <clears throat> and beginning in 1568, a theological solution for the rift was attempted with the generous moral and financial support of the princes. The first formula proposed was James Andres' five-article Confession and Self-Explanation. Expanded in 1573 to his, to his six Christian sermons, a recasting of the contents in the latter year produced the Schwaben Concord, a reworking of this document largely by Martin Chemez in the light of comments from theological facilities and conferences and theological uh, individual theologians. Resulted in... <clears throat> the uh, Schwaben Lower Saxon Concord, 1575. In the following year, uh, Luke Ossender and Balthazar uh, Bendenbach were directed to draft another proposal, the so-called Malbron Formula, with the exposure of the crypto-Calvinist conspiracy in electoral Saxony. Elector August joined the movement for unification in the late spring of 1576. He convoked a conference of theologians in Targo where the Schwaben-Saxon Concord and the Malboran formula were combined into the so-called Targo book, which Andre summarized summarized in the epitome or first part of the formula of Concord. After being sent to all invested territories for comment, the uh, Targu book was reworked at Bergen, Albany, into the Solid Declaration, or the second part of the Formula of Concord. This is the so called Bergen book in 1577. During the next three years, while the preference went through draft after draft, 8,188 theologians, ministers, and teachers in participating territories signed the Solid Declaration. Finally in 15 and June 25th in 1580 50 years to the day after reading the Augsburg Confession before Charles V the complete book of concord was placed on sale the signatures of the preference preface produced at the beginning of this volume as the preface of the book of concord identifying the princes and estates committed to them the english translation was made from german uh, from the german original latin quotations which produced and then trans- which were reproduced and translated into the vernacular at the instance of some princes are here rendered from the german only the more significant latin expressions are indicated in the footnotes so that is kind of the the pretext to the formula so it was again another roundabout way of massive disagreements after Luther's death around particular doctrine. And and I've said this numerous times that most uh, Lutherans today probably wouldn't be authentic Lutherans uh, by their theology. They would be probably either more of the Philippist party or maybe more of a blend of uh, modern Christian or even maybe a blend of Calvinistic uh, tendencies and, uh, and Lutheran tendencies. I don't think there's many Lutherans out there <clears throat> that can actually confess as Luther confessed. And and I think and and I would even venture to say I'm not near as educated as I should be in this field yet, but I'm still learning, uh, around you know how to assert my proclamation. How do I confess like a Lutheran? And that's really been kind of the premise of the show is the confession of a Lutheran. And I I take the time, I take the effort to You know, read and study church history and to more importantly, though, read and study Lutheran history, because uh, reading Luther's works and seeing how deep uh, of a study he gets into some of his works is profound. And so I've said it numerous times that once he died, there was always there was a beginning of the splits in theology. Many uh, is essentially the fractions uh, started happening right away. And so they went in various directions and uh and, and we don't really quite have true authentic lutheran theology today and that's evident by like the sentence like the elca and many others that have in my opinion apostatized from the faith so as they the the lutheran princes in the area in germany struggled in the mid 1500s they come together and write the this formula uh, and that's really what part 1 is and then Part two is the solid declaration, which, again, is a re-emphasis and a restating of these. So we won't go through all of them, but we'll touch base on a few of them uh, on today's episode. So the summary formation, basis, rule, and norm, indicating how all the doctrines should be judged in conformity with the words of God and heirs to be explained and decided in a Christian way. There are uh, 13 statements, and they're long statements. So we're going to just read a couple of these. Uh, on the introductory here uh, and then we'll move on to some of the articles this might be a little bit shorter of an episode depending on how much i get through but again I th- it's just going to be a reiterating of what we've already really covered in previous episodes so statement one here the primary requirement for basic and permanent con- concord within the church is the summary, formula, and pattern unanimously approved in which the summarized doctrine commonly confessed by the churches of the pure Christian religion is drawn together out of the word of God. For this same purpose, the ancient church always had its dependable system uh, symbols. It is based not merely on private writings, but on books that have been written, approved, and accepted in the name of the church, which confess the same doctrines of religion. Statement two, in the same way, we have from our hearts and from our mouths declared in mutual agreement that we shall neither prepare nor accept a different or a new confession for our faith. Rather, we pledge ourselves again to those public and well-known symbols and common confessions which have at all times and in all places been accepted in all the churches of the Augsburg Confession before the outbreak of several controversies among the adherents to the Augsburg Confession Uh, And which have been kept and used during the period when people were everywhere and unanimously faithful to the pure doctrine of the word of God as Dr. Luther of the blessed memory had explained it. So that is just two of those big statements, right? Well, we can get into all that. But, you know, this (coughs) this isn't an extensive study into the Augsburg. I would like at one point to really. Uh, read out through all of this for you And uh, that might come down the road uh, When I have more time um, But I really Am just kind of going through And highlighting Kind of from a 15,000 Foot view Of, of all of this And some of it we dive into it deeper Some of it we just kind of move past Because it's pretty common uh, and p- Pretty commonly accepted Amongst most Protestants uh, Today So uh, eventually, depending on, you know, where the show takes us, uh, I might take us all the way through each of these, uh, more in depth and explain the book of Concord in that frac in that manner. But there's shows out there that do that already. And so I don't know if it's n- a necessary thing for my show. Uh, so you can always, you know, search Lutheran podcast and you'll find, uh, some really great shows on guys doing the book of Concord and you'll find them, you know, working through, you know, some of the challenging aspects of the Lutheran faith. Uh, My goal is to explain it and help um, highlight some of the challenges uh, that I've overcome in my walk from Calvinism to Lutheranism. So again, uh, as we look at part two, it uh, is fairly similar to part one, uh, the formula of Concord. There's not a whole lot of differences. In fact, um, just a little bit of verbiage and and part two is added to change some of the article titles. So we have part one, uh, original sin as we've discussed in previous episodes. Uh, we believe that man, uh, was plagued with sin by Adam. We've gone into, you know, some scriptural studies on that. We've talked about how, uh, that, you know, is carried on through the seed of man from generation to generation, and that all men are born and women too, all all humans, all mankind, is born with original sin. That is where we uh, assert in baptism is the washing away of that. So you'll get into that when we get to the baptismal episodes. So we've got uh, Article Two, or uh, is free will or human powers. Uh, again, this is another lengthy, uh assertment here of, uh, statements. Yeah, I'm scrolling all the way to the bottom. I should, <laughs> excuse me. I should have just clicked it. Uh, 90 statements on, uh, on the free will. We're not going to read all 90, um, but we're going to read through a few of them for you. Uh, there has been a controversy concerning free will, not only between the Papist and the and our theologians, but also among a number of theologians of the Augsburg Confession. We shall therefore first of all set forth the real issue of this controversy. Man with his free will can be found and viewed as being in uh, in four distinct and dissimilar states. In this controversy, the question is not concerning the state of man's will before the fall, nor what the man after the fall and prior to his conversion can do in external things affecting his temporal life, nor what man can do in spiritual things after the Holy Spirit has regenerated him and rules him, nor what man's free will is going to be like after he has risen from the dead. The chief issue is solely and alone what the unregenerated man's intellect and will can do in this conversion and regeneration by those powers of his own that have remained after the fall, when the word of God is preached and the grace of God is offered to him. Can man prepare for such grace, accept it and give his assent to it? This is the issue which has been argued by some theologians of the churches in the Uxberg for quite a few years. I would also venture to push that after Luther's death, there was a softening of language and by softening, it was a changing of language that, uh, from a stern mono center or monergism salvation to a more synergistic salvation. And what would happen was preaching had kind of shifted slightly from, you know, man being saved solely by God for God's purpose to man being saved uh, by God, but We do a little bit to help or we, you know, we at least have some play in it. And so the the softening of language started just shortly after his death and uh, started to kind of um, run through the Protestant church like a cancer because really what we assert as Lutherans is uh, that man has no free will in of himself in the ability to. To reach out and call to God before salvation, when Paul makes that assertion that no man seeks after God, he's talking about the unregenerated man. But this was all of us before we, uh, before we, you know, were saved. Uh, we can turn to the psalmist and see how David is actively crying out to God, not to be left, not to be forsaken, not to be abandoned, not to be forgotten. He it calls out and is seeking God. And so we have to understand that when Paul makes that assertion in Romans 3, <clears throat> that he is talking about the unregenerated man, those who do not seek God. Because in our free will, we have no ability to seek God. We have no ability to obtain salvation by any merit. Uh, Paul echoes this again in Ephesians 1 and 2. We've been chosen before the foundation of the world. We've been saved by faith alone. And not by our works, so we can't boast. The one party held and taught that although its powers or although by his own powers, <clears throat> and without the gift of the Holy Spirit, man is unable to fulfill the commandments of God, to trust God truly and to fear and love him. Man nevertheless still has so much of his natural powers prior to this conversion, that he can to some extent prepare himself for grace and give his assent to it, though weakly, but that, without the gift of the Holy Spirit, he could accomplish nothing with these powers, but would succumb in his conflict. On the other hand, both ancient and modern enthusiasts have taught that God converts man through the Holy Spirit without any means or creating instruments, that is, without the external preaching or and hearing of the word of God, and brings them to a saving understanding of Christ. On the other hand, against both of these parties, the pure teachers of the Augsburg Confession have taught and argued that through the fall of our first parents, man so is so corrupted that in divine things concerning our conversion and salvation, he is by nature blind and does not and cannot understand the word of God when it is preached, but considers it foolish, foolishness, nor does he of himself approach God. But he is and remains an enemy of God until the power of the Holy Spirit through the word which is preached and heard purely out of grace and without any cooperation on his part. He is converted, becomes a believer, is regenerated and renewed. And again, this statement goes on and on. Uh, I would venture to say, too, that with that, we can harp on you know free will and, and all that uh good works for, you know, a while, but we're going to actually look at good works here in a minute. Um, but, uh, we can talk about the free will of man for ever in a day. We could probably do a whole podcast show on <laughs> the free will of man and, uh, and you know, have a nice little, you know, mini episode or little mini shows or whatever you want to call them. All right, let's move on. Uh, statement three, uh, we've got the righteousness of faith before God. Uh, the fir- third controversy which has risen among the several theologians of the Oxford Confession concerns the righteousness of Christ or of faith which God by grace through faith reckons to poor sinners as righteousness. The one party contended that the righteousness of faith, which St. Paul calls the righteousness of God, is the essential righteousness of God. Namely, Christ himself as the true, natural, essential son of God who through faith dwells in the elect, impales them to do what is right, and, uh, and in this way their righteousness. And that, in the comparison with his, with his righteousness, the sins of man are like a drop of water and uh, compared to the mighty ocean. On the other side, some have taught, uh, held and taught that Christ is our righteousness only according to human nature. Against both of these parties, the teachers of the Augsburg Confession held unanimously that Christ is our righteousness, not according to divine nature alone or according to human nature alone, but according to both natures. As God and man, he has, been, he has by his perfect obedience redeemed us from our sins, justified, and saved us. Therefore, they maintained that the righteousness of faith Is the forgiveness of sins, a reconciliation with God, and the fact that we are adopted as God's children solely on account of the obedience of Christ through faith alone. It is reckoned pure. It is reckoned by pure grace to all true believers as righteousness and to be absolved from all unrighteousness because of, uh, this obedience. So that is that statement. And then we move on to good works again, another long lengthy, uh, Uh, assertment, 40 statements and good works. So we won't read them all, but these same things, you know, I would boil this all down to God doesn't need your good works. Your neighbor does. That's, I mean, we, we can, we can go into all the little nitty gritties and stuff, but in reality, God does not need your good works. Your neighbor does. Your good works will not earn you. Merit will not earn you. Grace will not earn you. Salvation. It will not earn you anything. God does not care about your good works. God has freed you to do good works. So while God doesn't need them, your neighbor does. God doesn't gain anything by your good works because God already has everything. What your neighbor needs is your good works, your help, your love, your support, your everything that you can give them. They need that. So that's how I'll sum up good works. (laughs) without having to go through all that. Law gospel, we spent uh, another time doing that too a couple episodes back, so make sure you go back and make sure you listen to all of these episodes. Talked about the distinction of how we read uh, scripture between law gospel, whether it's a command that God is giving us or a promise that God is offering us. Both things are read into scripture and both things can be read and preached about uh, in the church, should be, at least in my opinion, I think. We should uh, always be preaching the law gospel distinction uh, in, in an expository manner. We can talk about the text. We can read the text. We can dig into it. But we must be preaching what is the law being found in the text. How does that law kill our congregation today? And how can we free that congregation from their death? Uh, moving on, we have the th- uh, third functions of the law. We've talked a little bit about that again in, la- in previous episodes. Um, Article 7 here is... Holy supper. We'll talk about that in the sacrament series. Uh, eight is the, uh, person of Christ. And this is another interesting one where many, um, uh, tried to (laughs) sway. We'll talk a little bit about the, uh, the Lord's supper and, and the nature of Christ a little bit, but here we go from this for when Dr. Luther maintained with solid arguments are true essential presence of the body and blood of Jesus Christ in the Lord's Supper on the basis of the words of institution. The Zwinglians countered by saying that the body of Christ could not be a true and genuine human body if it were present at the same time in heaven and in the Holy Supper on earth. Since, Since such majesty belongs to God alone and the Christian is incapable of it. Dr. Luther contradicted and mightily refuted this after his doctrinal and polemic writings concerning the Holy Suppers, which, to which we hereby publicly profess our adherence, and they clearly demonstrate. Uh, so we'll dig into that controversy between Zwingli and Luther, and uh, we'll look at the um, malberg uh, which was the dispute between those two. We'll look at that, and then we'll dig into what the Scripture tell us, and how do Lutherans view the Lord's Supper. So I'm very excited for that part of the series too, but I'm really enjoying the baptismal episodes, by the way. Uh, so that takes care of the person of Christ. Basically what we can affirm as Lutherans is that Jesus is truly God and truly man, and we do not know where one ends and one begins. We'll leave it at that. Um, this is the, the lovely one that everybody <laughs> loves to, uh, to fight about, um, Christ's descent into hell. Uh, This is Article 9. I'm just going to read these three statements real quick. Different explanations of this article on Christ's descent into hell have been discovered among our theologians, just as among the ancient teachers of the Christian church. Hence, we let matters rest on the simple statement of our Christian faith, to which Dr. Luther directs us in the sermon which he held at the castle at Targo in the year 1533. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, who died and was buried and descended into hell. Therein, the burial and descent into hell are differential as distinct articles. We and we simply believe that after the burial, the entire person, God and man, descended into hell, conquered the devil, destroying hell's power, and took from the devil all of his might. We are not cons- we have we are not to concern ourselves with exalted and acute speculations about how this occurred. With our reason and five senses, this article cannot be comprehended by any means than a preceding one. How Christ has been made to sit at the right hand of the almighty power and majesty of God. We must only believe and cling to the word. Then we shall retain the heart of this article and derive it from the comfort that neither hell nor the devil can take us or any believer in Christ captive or harm us. So we talked a little bit about that last week on, uh, Part one, as we dug into that uh, particular confession. The last few here are the ecclesiastical riots called Offer. We talked a lot about that last week. I enjoyed that episode or that part of the episode as well. Uh, article 11, the uh, external foreknowledge and divine election. Uh, Lutherans are very much proponents of election and predestination. However, we do not believe in double predestination. We, do, we believe that all man was born sinful. We are already slated for destruction, and it is by God's grace that he saves even some of us. And so it's not that God goes out and elects some of us to damnation and some of us to salvation. We were all destined for damnation to begin with, but he, through his gracious word and sacrament, goes... And, out ahead of us and saves who he desires. So we believe in election. We love election. It's it's the best doctrine out there, if you would by uh, by Lutherans. Uh, we can we'll probably get into a little bit deeper when we get into some of the more pundit, uh Lutheran pieces uh, of theology. Um, and then the final one is other factions and sects which have never accepted the Augsburg Confession. And then they go through and they reject. Uh, A whole bunch of these groups that were uh, against the writings of the Augsburg Confession. So that concludes um, all of the big stuff here. We will actually uh, spend some time looking at uh, probably next week the small called Articles, which is kind of Luther's small confession. Uh, There's three parts to it. So we'll dig into some of that. Um, We will skip part five, the article five on baptism, because that will be included in the baptismal episode. Uh, After the small called articles, we might just journey quickly through the small catechism. Uh, We will not go through the large, mostly because uh, the large is uh, extensive in Luther's explanation to uh, various things. So If you want some meaty bedtime material to read, go and grab Luther's large catechism and read his commentary on the commandments. So first instance, uh, it will take you through uh, the first commandment uh, explanation here. It's uh, 48 statements long. Uh, The second is another 40 statements. So they're lengthy. They're lengthy. So we won't go into that, but we will look at the small card articles and uh, Luther's small catechism, and that will probably end our time in the book of Concord. And then I've got a couple things in mind ahead of time, and then we'll dig into uh, the baptismal series uh, and the, and the Lord's Supper. So the sacramental series. So that's coming your way as well. Uh, Friday, we are going to um, what I'm trying to (laughs) think of the timeline in my head here as I'm recording episodes. The next episode I will record after this one today will be on the book of Psalms. Uh, We'll outline that. So that will be the Friday's episode that is already aired this coming Friday. I think we're going to look at Jonah and uh, Anthony and I did it on a matter of truth. And we dug into that topic fairly deep um, on a couple of the concepts. But I would like to go verse by verse and really expound the book um, and uh, talk about it a little bit more. And we'll see some parallels between Jonah and uh, the New Testament. So that'll be that. Uh, so stay tuned to Friday as we dig into another book and work through the, t- the context uh, verse by verse. So uh, thanks for tuning in this week, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great week. God bless. We'll see you all later.